This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name is Shona Gentry. I'm presenting this programme for several months, standing in for the amazing Penny Southgate, who's off doing some very important work, linking up with other community radio stations and doing environmental work there. We're going to be looking at some news stories uh, related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. And today we have a really interesting interview with a PhD scientist who is also an artist, Chris Perry. He's got a studio in Bristol. He's exhibiting in London, in Portishead, all over the country. And he does a lot of work uh, inspired by the environmental work that he does and the, the things that he sees. He's done several trips to the Amazon with his wife, Dr. Rosa, who we had on the show a few weeks ago talking all about the stingless bees and the boiling river and all the work that she has done with National Geographic. So that sounds um, yeah, really interesting. The, we're going to talk about the uh, combination of science and art and how you balance the two. So welcome to One Love, One Planet. Thank you for joining us. Settle in for what is sure to be an interesting R. Right, we're at the part of the show where we're going to cover a few different news stories um, around the environment that have popped up over the last week or so. Uh, the first one is a really positive piece of news from onegreenplanet.org, um, the incredible resurgence of blue whales in California waters. The calm waters off the coast of Southern California are teeming with a renewed life force thanks to the triumphant return of Pacific blue whales. Their impressive resurgence is being hailed as one of nature's most inspiring comeback stories. Blue whales are the largest creatures on Earth. They can measure up to 110 feet long and weigh up to 200 tons. And while they were once perilously close to extinction due to rampant whaling, protective measures and conservation efforts have brought them back from the brink. Today, the sight of these magnificent creatures frolicking in their natural habitat has become more common off the coast of Southern California. Uh, the resurgence of the uh, blue whale population, which is now 97% of its pre-whaling numbers, so that is uh, a, a, a big recovery, um, is a testament to concerted global conservation efforts since the 1970s. These changes, particularly around the Pacific, have paved the way for an encouraging recovery, not just for blue whales, but also for humpbacks and northern elephant seals. But it is important to remember that despite these positive strides, blue whales remain endangered. Current estimates indicate that there are around 1,900 to 2,200 blue whales in Southern California and no more than 25,000 worldwide. This is a significant recovery, but still far from the estimated peak of 250,000 whales globally. So, but that is, I mean, yeah, and well done to everyone who's been involved in the whaling conservation efforts over the decades. That is a, a big a big bonus. Um, and, uh, another side note is that Iceland apparently has also suspended whale hate hunting over animal rights concerns. This is a very controversial practice that's been uh, continuing in Iceland, um, but it may be brought to a historic end. It's been postponed and we shall see whether it gets scrapped completely. 
In UK news, a Guardian headline, Zach Goldsmith resigns, accusing Sunak of being uninterested in the environment. Zach Goldsmith, so that's one of the Conservative uh, MPs, has resigned as a minister, accusing Rishi Sunak of being uninterested in the environment. However, number 10 claimed he quit after being told to apologise for undermining the parliamentary inquiry into Boris Johnson. Uh, Goldsmith said he'd been happy to acknowledge he should not have commented on the Privileges Committee, but he said this was not the cause of his resignation. Ed Miliband, the Shadow Energy Secretary, called Goldsmith's departure a devastating indictment of Rishi Sunak and his whole government on climate and nature. So that's quite interesting. Uh, Let us know what you think about that. And finally, a local headline, something that's been very controversial in the local area. Uh, Bristol Cable headline um, talking about fear and anger in the Somali community over the livable neighbourhood plans. We want them to listen to us. The council claims the plans to restrict through traffic in parts of East Bristol were co-designed with local people, but some are angry about the consultation so far and feel the scheme is being um, imposed on them. The scheme will be trialled later this year and it will stop vehicles driving through a large area of Barton Hill, Redfield and St George. Residents and businesses will still be able to retain access but might have a less convenient route. The, The aims are to tackle air pollution and encourage people to drive less. Many support the idea because they feel the area is too dominated by cars that squeeze down narrow roads with the area being used as a quick cut through. But a significant number of locals have criticised the plans as making life much harder for those who can't easily walk or cycle and can't simply drive less. Some rely on their cars to get children to school in time as well as to work, especially those who are home carers, have to travel between different homes. The other thing that almost everyone mentions is not feeling listened to by the council's consultation. And there are also concerns after the recent tar block fire. Multiple people have mentioned worries about ambulances or fire engines being delayed, even if they are able to unlock modal filters manually. The feeling of not being listened to is also combined with not always feeling safe in cramped social housing and being stuck there with no chance of being rehoused. So uh, the Green Council for Lawrence Hill, Yasin Mohammed, is helping organise more meetings for residents to speak to the council. And I believe there is, in fact, a drop in this afternoon. This, that's Tuesday, the 4th of July, between 5pm and 6pm at the GP surgery, the Wellspring GP surgery, for people to give their views. So that's a drop in this afternoon between five and half past six if you live or work in the area and you will be affected and you feel like you have not been had a chance to yet to give your views on the consultation. So yes, lots happening there. And obviously this Liverpool neighbourhood scheme is going to affect a lot of people, both positively and more, uh, yeah, in, in more un- inconvenient ways. So we will try and keep you abreast of all developments in that. We're going to play some more music and then we will get to our interview with Chris Perry, CJ Perry, uh, a visual artist and PhD scientist who's going to tell us all about his work in those fields. And today we have a very special interview with someone who is both a scientist and an artist. Chris Perry has a background in science and uh, is an environmentalist, but is also now an exhibiting artist uh, promoting his work, which is inspired by the natural world. Chris, lovely to have you. Hello there. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Thank you. Oh, no worries. Well, so please tell us a bit more about yourself. Tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this very particular field. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I'm, a, I'm a, originally from West Bromwich in the Midlands in the UK, hence the accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, my whole life really, uh, art and, and drawing and things has, has been such a passion and it's been such a, 
a thing for me, but um, I ended up studying science all the way through school. Um, I think it just ended up being something that I was good at academically and, and that carried on. And then that's what I did at university and then ended up doing a PhD in, in, in chemistry, which was amazing. I met some amazing people and I, I got to travel a lot with, with through that and, and that kind of stuff. And then fast forward a little bit and I ended up in the States uh, with a, a science job. And um, that's kind of when COVID hit and when everything went into lockdown and I was separated from my family. I was in the States. Um, I couldn't get back. And that's when art kind of saved me again, really, from kind of being on my own and uh, where I put a lot of time into into doing that all over again. And I've not really looked back since. It's, it's become much more of a main part of my life again. Amazing. And I mean, yeah, how, how do you find the two interacting? Because I don't know if you find it at school. At my school, we kind of had the kids who were interested in science and the kids who were interested in art and there wasn't a lot of overlap. And um, is that something that you find that is quite unusual or is this kind of a growing uh, experience to kind of both look at the world scientifically and artistically? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's, I think it's a bit of both. Like, I, th- I think the science world is. I think you you just have to always be so accurate and and so trained and and all these things, and it, it can be quite intense. And then the in the art side of of your days, kind of like the opposite. Really, it's kind of freeing and it, it's very, very um, kind of no rules and it's it, all that kind of stuff. So, I think it can be incredibly complementary, really. But there's also you can also say there's like a very kind of logical process to to making a piece of art or a painting or something in your head that you're following steps that you're creating or something, which is also quite scientific. So I think it pulls on certain parts of your personality. Um, but in terms of some of the things that we've done, uh, so with my with my wife, who, who's, who works for the National Geographic, and she does a lot of uh, conservation work in, in really cool areas. Um, it's been a really cool tool to be able to do um, or enhance some kind of teaching methods or tell stories more in places where maybe it's difficult for all of us to speak the same language. It's become a really powerful method and a very fun method as well. And uh, the latest example of this was, was when me and my wife, we went into the, into the Amazon uh, in, in Peru and we were working with this, uh, the community of, of local beekeepers. Um, it was a really incredible experience and we learned a hell of a lot about how to look after some of these bees and, and how important they are to their to their um, daily life and to their economy and their, their health and well-being and and then we 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 use kind of an art-driven science class almost I guess you could call it where we're teaching some of the younger members of that community um, who who really don't have any access to education maybe like once every few weeks or something. Um, and we were teaching them ways of looking after their, their beehives and bits of science about some of the bees that are important. And, and we, we're doing this through making pictures and artworks and competitions and things like this. And I think that was a, a real cool moment where we really kind of saw there is like a, a really nice line between science and art that we can utilize for, for really good things and, and, and for really powerful me- uh, messages and stuff. Amazing. Um, and. Can you talk a bit about, I guess, what art means to you personally? Um, because art is partly communication with other people, a way to tell these stories and share emotions. But it's also very therapeutic sometimes, even if you just do it for yourself. 
And I know you said you used it to cope during COVID. I mean, how does it help you to process your work? Because the climate crisis can be so overwhelming. And as a scientist, maybe working around that field, I imagine it's quite difficult sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess people's personal passions and things like this mean really things for the, well, I guess means lots of different things for lots of different people. The first first thing I think of for me is is I just, it just takes me back to being a kid. Um, I, I used to sit and draw uh, Christmas cards and stuff with my parents, and I used to make Christmas decorations. I used to pick up some of the comic books uh, as a small kid and and draw some of the characters and I used to draw my favorite things from TV and it was it was just a pastime it was something that I did for fun um it was and I, it still feels like that now and and I think that's that's something that stuck with me the whole time I, th- I think uh, people's jobs can be really difficult and studying is difficult and all these things and if there's something that we 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 have that, that that keeps us in touch with like our own fun childhoods or our own kind of personal times where we relax and things like this and I think it's really cool if we can hold on to that as we all get older and all these things and I think I've I've been lucky that I've been able to take that with me through all kind of stages of life that I've had and stages of career or or things like this um and I think if anyone can turn those things into if they want to if anyone can turn those passions into something that they incorporate in their professional life I think you're really lucky if you can do that and uh, I was I never really thought I'd have an opportunity to do that in life but it kind of came out of nowhere so I mean I'm so like happy and lucky that that, that that's happened because um, for me it was just it was always fun it was always just something I did as a as a thing uh, kind of solitude time it was kind of just me and just having fun it was never a serious thing ever and it still isn't now really even if I'm if I do something that's from uh, to work with a gallery or to work with something which is kind of a bit scary or to use as a teaching tool it's not even a thought process it's still just a fun experience and something that I do so I think for me it's just always been something that relates to really warm happy and kind of safe memories from from childhood I think (laughs) so um yeah yeah I think there's a lot of people listening who can identify with that like having the time and space to express yourself is something that we prioritize less as we get older and life kind of gets in the way which is understandable but it is so good for our mental health if we do have the time to kind of express our thoughts um what's what's your favorite medium I'm not a visual artist myself I'm not very good at drawing but what do you kind of prefer to work in um, I, I think I'm too impatient to use <laughs> oil paints and acrylic paints and waiting for things to dry and layer things up. I don't, I don't think I have the patience for that. Um, I use charcoal, um, but mainly the things that I, I've used now and the things that seem to be the most well-received by different different avenues is, is soft pastel and very colourful pastels and things like this. And that's been, it's been really fun. Um, it's, it's really efficient. Like You can kind of take these mediums anywhere and you only have to use certain papers and stuff. I don't need to be carrying canvases or different oils or brushes or, or washes with me everywhere. So <laughs> Just tracking through the Amazon with giant canvases and paints on you. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's how, this, that's how that, that choice came about, really. I, when when we, we knew we were going to teach some art classes in, in the jungle, 
uh, was trying to figure out what's the logistically how is that possible and it was really uh, the simplest thing to think of is we can take some pencils or some things like this and that's it was really easy to use pencil and charcoal and just to be very simple and that and that was incredibly effective and people made some incredible things and then those are the kind of my first things that that, that were used with kind of a gallery as such came from charcoal and charcoal powders and things like this which was uh, really nice and then it just became more and more colourful without using paints so that's where pastels came from and yeah it seems to be majority, majority just those two mediums now which is uh, yeah again <laughs> there's more logistical really but by chance it's it's come out well <laughs> a very practical solution <laughs> yes exactly maybe that's the science part of <laughs> picking, the, picking the easiest route to getting the job done <laughs> very sensible and yeah, you said that you've had an exhibition recently and some of your work has been in galleries. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, this is all down to my lovely wife, really. I, I ended up having a little bit of a collection of stuff that I've made over, over time and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it and or maybe just ignore it or anything. I had no idea. And uh, She kind of never let me and pushed me to... <laughs> to just show people or do something. So I, I started to look at some of the open calls that are available for artists just to kind of send work to places that were doing exhibitions and, and, and things. And uh, um, I guess that's the first step to maybe kind of visualising, like, maybe this is something I want to show people or maybe you're ready to get some feedback from. It's kind of a scary experience. You become very, it's like very yes. vulnerable and it's a very you never know what's going to happen. Um but yeah, I'm incredibly grateful that the first few things I sent to different open calls were um, kind of well received and, and, and accepted. And uh, I was part of an exhibition in in London at the Boomer Gallery uh, in T uh, Terra Bridge, which was kind of a, a thing curated by Anthony Fawcett, who's like a bit of a living legend in the art world. So this was kind of the first thing I'd ever really sent off. So that felt kind of great. And it oh, was a wow. bit of a gave me a bit of, uh, I guess it just gives anyone confidence, like everyone's kind of scared to, to show anything creative, I think, deep down, and it gave me a little bit of confidence to, to think maybe I could do that again, and then I've done it a few more times, and it's just kind of snowballed from there, and I've, I've, I've done um, a couple of things since. I was in a, a, an exhibition at, in Doncaster, um, and there I have a few art fairs coming up uh, through Royal Windsor, uh, one in, in Portishead at Art, Artport. Um, and then more recently I've, I've, I've been invited into the London Art Biennale, uh, I can never say, London Art Biennale okay. <laughs> in Chelsea, which is a really big kind of international exhibition. Um, that's incredibly exciting. Um, so all these things kind of, gave us a bit of a, a food for thought and we thought well maybe we it'll be really cool if we could have our own little place and you know we can really interact with the community and we can make this a bit of a thing and 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 now we have our own little studio gallery in in bristol in clifton in the arcade oh wow and has that just opened recently yeah we've been open about two weeks um we've met some wonderful <laughs> people everyone is incredibly supportive all the small businesses in the arcade are really lovely I encourage everyone when they get some free time around the area to head to Clifton Village into the arcade and go and see the amazing small businesses. There's there's a wonderful small bookshop. There's uh, plants and um, there's a photography. And then we have our own little studio gallery now, which has got most of my pieces up. And, and you can come in and chat and we can 
have a look at things together and, and yeah it's been really wonderful and what's the gallery in the clifton arcade called Oh, it's just my name. He's just uh, Chris Perry, Perry <laughs> Studio <laughs> Gallery. <laughs> I think if you uh, if you Google that, you'd probably be able to find <laughs> find the location. Great. And um, when's the exhibition in Portishead? Because that's obviously nearby as well. Yeah, no, the the Portishead. Um, it's a an art fair where um, there'll be lots of different artists with uh, all pitching up with cool stands, and and anyone in the area can come down and maybe buy something nice with our home or just come and talk to some of the artists and things like this. Um, I believe it's September the 23rd and the 24th um, and that'll be in Portishead. So um, there's some social media and some information online if you Google Artport 2023. So that will be a really fun experience. Well, that sounds lovely and a great way to both support the local community and some very talented artists. And I also heard that you're developing an educational proposal for National Geographic. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, this is um, yeah something that's ongoing. Um, there's different stages to these things, and the first stage has gone uh, pretty well. Um, this is yeah based on some of the things we spoke about a little earlier that when we went into the Amazon and we work with uh, a community that, that look after bees, but these kind of aren't the typical bees that we, we think of. These are stingless bees, so they don't have their... They don't have their stingers. Um, so they, they... I mean, they usually don't sting. You can kind of be in and around them and put your face in their beehive, <laughs> things like this. It's, it's pretty safe. <laughs> Crazy cool. Um, and the honey that they make has all these cool properties. They're kind of medicinal and it's used for different things. And they're really important to these communities. Um, so much so that, like during COVID and things like this, they, they would kind of sell the honeys that they collected to different communities and that was like their sources of income and it kept everyone going and it's really important. Um, so we've been, uh, well, the things that kind of I'm proposing and that we've been working with my wife already is to, uh, to learn more about these bees and to look after these bees from kind of a conservation angle, from a community angle. Um, we're doing this with the community. We, we work uh, intimately with with members that live with the members that live there. Um, we we live with them for a while, um, and it's we're using kind of their voices and it's their story and it's their teachings and it, it's that's the kind of knowledge we're trying to gather and and and, and kind of pass on and tell to different people. So um, yeah, it's basically around the conservation of of, of um, the stingless bees. Um, one really cool thing that we've learned so far is that they now have a, a in the community. There's a method to kind of sustainably kind of farm the bees. They they showed us how they identify beehives in the wild, how they collect them, and then they bring these beehives into their own back gardens, basically. And now there's there's certain communities that have kind of like 50 beehives all in their back garden, and all the bees can live kind of quite happily. They're looked after, and then the honey's collected. And then the beehive carries on and then they can make more honey. So no beehives are destroyed in the collection process, which is a really good advancement. And these are the things we're kind of documenting on how to do that and to pass on to like the next generation of people in their communities. And we've been doing this through different artistic methods and um, kind of a cool way to teach some. It's pretty important science, really, but it's you, would, you wouldn't even know because it's kind of like a fun art class. So this has been... Um, <laughs> That's kind of the whole thing we're trying to cover, but it's been really rewarding. We've met some incredible people. We've had some incredible experiences. Um, 
and also I get to see some really awesome stuff. So it's really good uh, inspiration to make lots of personal artworks as well. So yeah, it's incredible. Wow. Well, that sounds really important work. Yeah. Well, I've only got a couple of questions left. Um, one of them was, what's your favorite piece of art in the world? Maybe something that's inspired you? Oh, wow. Oh, put me on the spot. Okay, uh, my, <laughs> my favorite piece of art. Well, <laughs> actually, again, this is another st story from back home, probably. Um, an artist called uh, uh, Taishan Scharenberg. Uh, he's a kind of probably a portrait artist, probably the best way to describe it. He uses incredible color to make these kind of really big, emotional, expressive portraits. Um, but the way I became familiar with him was through um, a documentary he made uh, in my hometown in West Bromwich. And he, he was like an artist in residence at the football club, at West Brom Football <laughs> Club. And that was, he kind of followed them thing. around and and um, kind of became pretty involved with the with the, the team and the local area. And it was all in an effort to then make a collection of artworks that will be kind of based around the season and, and the, the, the players and all these different emotions of football and stuff. Um, and he wasn't like a football fan at all, but then by the end of it, he was a big football fan, <laughs> like a West Brom fan. And it was the first time I saw like my town and like football club and art all in kind of the same pot, as it were, or something. And, yeah. and it was kind of, it, that was a really cool moment. And I kind of always remember that as the moment where I thought, yeah, you know, people from, from West Brom and all these different areas, uh, you know, anyone can kind of do art and, and, and do all the things that they like at the same time. That was a really cool message. So I think my favourite artwork is a lot of his portraits that are, um, that are all out there and probably from that moment. Yeah, and that's incredible. And similar, I guess, to your work because it's telling stories and telling stories that maybe don't normally get told. I mean, yeah, whoever thought of having an artist for a foot artist in residence for a football club hats off to them because I would never have thought of that and for me it's perfect it's, it's mixing all my favorite things so <laughs> really enjoyable to watch football and art and your town and great there you go <laughs> and what's your favorite piece that you've done yourself I know artists aren't very good sometimes at tooting their own horn but what's the piece that you're most proud of oh wow yeah <laughs> Yeah, I still need to get better at talking about my own pieces. That's still something <laughs> that I definitely need to get better at. Um, but probably, um, uh, I did a portrait from um, the community leader that we stayed with. We stayed in his home in, in, in the Amazon. Um, and I, I tried to capture him as he was collecting a beehive from the jungle and he was uh, carrying it back to his home. And it was just an incredible sight. Like I was... I was covered head to toe, so I didn't get bitten by anything. I, <laughs> I had like Wellington boots and I was sweating. The humidity was like over 90%. It was so hot. We were in the jungle. And then I looked over at the, the leader that who I was staying with and yeah, you know, he, he was just completely normal for him. He had no shirt on and he was thriving and <laughs> he was super strong and he, he was um, taking a big chunk of a tree with a beehive and he carried it by kind of weaving vines into a, into a rope, which he'd wrap around his head so he could use his head and his back to carry the entire weight of something that was super heavy all the way through the jungle and hills back to his home. And it was just the most incredible thing I'd ever seen, like the, a, a feat of strength I've never seen before. Um, 
so I, I, I tried to capture that with a with a portrait, and it's um, that's the, the piece that is going to be exhibited at the at the London Biennale in uh, in in Chelsea in July, and I'm really happy that that piece is is going to um, be seen by some people because it's a really cool message and it's a really cool story and. It kind of embodies a lot of the stuff that me and um, my wife are trying to do in that area. So, I think at the moment that's probably my favourite because it's it's um, there's there's a lot of meaning behind it and and um, it's just cool to give that community a, a bit of exposure and it can only help in some way. Amazing. And is there any final word or message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Uh, just. Thank you to everyone in in the in the kind of Bristol area in the, in the area where I've we've just opened up. Um, everyone has been so welcoming and so supportive, and said some really nice things. And uh, it's been really cool meeting people that have just popped in for for a chat or or to bring a coffee or something. Just everyone is so lovely. Um, thank you very much. Like I think everyone in with small business and that kind of stuff that feels support um, is so grateful and. Um, yeah, just thank you, everyone in Bristol. It's just so lovely. Um, and we, we, yeah, we're just so thankful for all the support. And just remind people where they can find out more about you, your website, and where your gallery is. Yeah, so the, 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 our studio is in, the, uh, in Clifton Village, in the Clifton Arcade. We're Unit 3. Um, as you go in, we're on the right-hand side. You can't miss us, Chris Perry Studio Gallery. Um, and online, we're www.cjperryart.com. Um, there's you can view things you can ask for some commissions and things like this so that's kind of cool and you can check out instagram we, we try and keep it up to date as much as possible and um, we're cjperry.art um we try and post some cool things or if we if we get to travel somewhere nice or do an expedition we should be keeping it going on on insta for people to stay is to to see uh, and stuff like that so so yeah that's us Thank you so much. That was great. It was lovely to have you and good luck with all the exhibitions. That's incredibly exciting. And if anyone's listening who's interested in the visual arts, definitely go check that out. It sounds great with a really important message. And thank you so much for joining us, Chris. It was lovely to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you very much. So we're almost toward the end of our show. We just got a couple things to cover before then. Um, it is as well. Uh, it's also Plastic Free July. So this is a specific event hosted by and promoted by the Plastic Free Foundation, encouraging everyone to consider how they can further reduce their plastic waste. Obviously, we know that uh, sometimes it's not always possible. Sometimes it's necessary for medical reasons or anything else. Um, but if there is a way that we can reduce our plastic waste, then that does that may have a some small impact on the on the world around us, the environment, and start, stop at least you know some animals being affected by it. Uh, plastic Free July is a global movement that helps millions of people be part of the solution to pa- plastic pollution so we can have cleaner streets, oceans, and communities. So the idea is you try and not, have, not use single-use plastics, so trying to use uh, ones that you can recycle, or if there's a way that you can... Yeah, reuse your boxes, your containers, um, 
have a reusable coffee cup if that's something you use that sort of thing so there's on the website plasticfreejuly.org there's uh loads of ideas for depending you know where you are in your plastic free journey are you just getting started are you maybe trying you maybe you're in charge of a workplace you're trying to reduce your plastic use maybe you're in charge of a school maybe you run events or you run businesses or you work in local government and there's loads of different ideas of ways that you could take simple steps to reduce your one use plastic use and although obviously we have to be careful not to put the uh issues and the blame for the climate crisis at the feet of individuals you know ultimately we're all part of a big system and if we don't tackle the wider system individual uh, actions won't count for much but there are some things that we as individuals can do to cut you know to cut down on our impact on the environment including eating less meat flying less and using less single-use plastic so this is one way to have a small impact on the world around us so do check that out plastic free july for some more inspiration if that's something you want to get better at so that almost brings us to the end of our show we've had a really interesting one thank you again to chris perry for the interview um thank you to you our listeners for listening without you there is no show please do join us next week when we are going to be talking to some young people who have taken part in the grassroots activators program this is a program for 16 to 30 year olds it is a year-long initiative delivered in central bristol over two days a week it's specifically for 16 to 30 years from marginalized communities across bristol and it wants to raise aspirations create role models and develop realistic pathways to future opportunities the program is spread across six terms and includes things on youth work community development community social action nature connection community food growing well-being and environmental social action entrepreneurship and social enterprise we had one of the founders ben carpenter in on the breakfast show yesterday and he was telling us all about it and it was sounds really exciting he's clearly extremely passionate about it the young people get mentors they get reflective practice they it's a way to sort of maybe if you are in that age age group 16 to 30 you're not really sure what you're doing with your life with your career study and you want to try out some new things this is a way to do it and it's free so we're going to have some of these young people um in uh, on the Uh, on the One Love One Planet show next week to tell us all about what they've been doing. They've also been going out and doing wild camping, I believe, and cooking and eating roadkill from what Ben said. It sounds absolutely bonkers in a great way. So I'm very excited for that. I've also told them they can pick the music. So um, and apparently there's loads of them coming in. So I don't know how we will fit them on the studio. I'm sure it will be fine, but I'm really excited to speak to them and hear all about their stories next week and hear all about what they're up to so that's very exciting so yeah thank you for joining us do keep it locked to bcfm for more tunes and chat uh, we've got lunchtime with tristan b coming up next um but yeah that's all for me for now so please take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other this is the podcast version of one love one planet the award-winning environmental radio show Broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.